Let us bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we gather around this, your word today, we would pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to continually guide and direct us into all understanding and to appreciation for all that you have done for our salvation and in preparing us to welcome our dear Lord and Savior. Continue to be with us and direct us then today as we seek to be your servants who, as John did, also faithfully served throughout his days. Be with us now as we meditate upon this, your word, and do this all to the glory of your saving name. That is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text upon which we'll base our meditation today is our gospel reading for this Sunday. It is also recorded for us then in the 11th chapter of the gospel according to St. Matthew, beginning at the second verse, and let us arise as we hear these words. While John was in prison, he heard about the things Christ was doing. He sent two of his disciples to ask him, are you the coming one or should we wait for someone else? Jesus answered them, go report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the gospel is preached to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. As these two were leaving, Jesus began to talk to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? No, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and he is much more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Here ends the reading of our text. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in your truth, for this your word is truth. And we pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. Dear fellow redeemed, I have to apologize for my improper attire today. I forgot my camel-haired tunic at home. Of course, if I would have asked John, he probably would have brought it from fun.com or something. But You know, really, that would be kind of silly, wouldn't it, for me to all of a sudden stand up here in a cloak of camel hair and tell you what I had for lunch bunch of grasshoppers or locusts, or maybe even tell you about the finer, the finer nuances of finding the best wild honey. All of these things, all of these things stood out, and it made John stand out to the people. He was so different, and yet we know there's something else to it. We knew that he had a very special vow. He would 
drink neither wine or liquor, or he would not marry, or he likely did not cut his hair. Those are the vows of the Nazarite to remain pure and to serve God. And that particular vow lent to his lifestyle, his attire, and other things. And yes, he was different. But that wasn't the only thing that made him different. So despite his particular and distinct appearance, there is something else that we find from him. And it's important that we listen to his message and ultimately find in not only his message, but in his actions, a golden nugget which we can walk away with today. As we consider our text before us, let us do so then with the title of A Servant of the Lord Completes His Work. Now our first consideration should be what was the task of this John, this John the Baptizer? Well, obviously the title itself gives a little bit away. But we see it very clearly in the scriptures that those very prominent prophecies that pointed people to this one who would come prior to the arrival of the Messiah. In fact, he himself claimed that prophecy that was recorded for us in Isaiah 40. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. And then in our text, we again see how that primary work and task that he had to do was emphasized by our Lord himself. As he is talking of John, he points out Malachi, and he says in 3.1, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. These texts, these prophecies, really, all help us understand the work and the purpose of the one born John. He would prepare the way of the Lord. Now his command or his commission, really, if you would, was to turn the hearts of the people away from their sin, away from their sinful lifestyles even, to the Lord, to repent, to come in sadness of heart, realizing they had offended their God. And their need for repentance was great. It was also important to note that all the Gospels don't even begin the Gospel message without first talking about this, talking about John and his message, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all bring him in and the account of the gospel and their individual viewpoints. You can't properly go through Advent, really, without talking about John and his message. But Luke went a little further even and gives us a joyous amusement as well as amazement at how John came into the world. Because Zechariah, the father of John, was serving in the temple when the angel Gabriel comes to him. And he said to Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth, who by the way was beyond childbearing years, will bear a son for you. 
and you are to name him John. Is it any wonder that John doubted the angel? But he did. And of course, he was silent until the day he was born. But he adds, the angel Gabriel adds, you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And we know the account that was mentioned in our hymn of when Elizabeth is greeted by Mary, John, that infant in her womb, leapt for joy because the Lord was in their presence. Wow. This is the John that we often take time to take time to listen, not just to who he is, but to the message he has to share. What's also amazing is the notoriety that John received. And surely the lifestyle didn't hurt. We know that uniqueness tends to draw attention. But at the same time, there was a reason for that, to stand out, to note that one has been set aside for service to God. But it wasn't just his lifestyle. It wasn't just his attire. It was the message that he spoke. It was that call that was not just focused on one small group, but it covered the entire strata of society. From the least to the greatest in society, they all were called to repentance, to confess their sins, to come to God for mercy, and to wash away their sins. Yes, this guy, this John, was primarily in the wilderness, but he was the talk of the town. There was a steady stream of people coming to a river named Jordan and the wilderness where he taught. And I often wonder if you really looked at and could document the history of that ministry, if you would, how many people really came to the waters of baptism and repented of their sin? Could it rival Pentecost? Uh, but those are they're really idle thoughts. I don't really need to know. We don't really need to know. Because the important thing is the message. You know, there were those who sought to discredit John and his message, and for that matter, Jesus himself. We often are familiar with that first part of the third chapter of John where we read of the great passage 316, where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But immediately after that, or shortly after that, in verse 25 and following, we see a conversation that really ties us into this whole background of John the Baptist's work, what he had come to do, where he would be going next in some ways. John says, after they're approaching it, there really is a little background here. It says, then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification, if you would, about baptism. And of course, we know uh, with the discussions on baptism that when the Jews ceremonially cleaned something or purified it, they would sprinkle water, baptizo, couches and chairs and furniture 
and everything. So we know that to baptize really includes a sprinkling of water. And so there's all kinds of wonderful things we learn in this disputation, if you would. But in verse 26, it goes on, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing, and all are coming to him. A little attempt to create some rivalry. <laughs> John answered, he said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Sounds to me like he knew his role, his place in the kingdom of God, his command and commission to be the forerunner, and it was drawing to a close. He also goes on to that next step, and although he was ready to set aside his work to say that his work was completed, there was one thing yet to do, something that was very important to him something that showed up in all that he did, and that was his love for souls. So in this very same text, in verse 36, he says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Yes, John's role was decreasing, the role and the person and the work of Christ and the notoriety and the information that was important to disseminate so that people could believe the gospel. That was increasing. Christ was increasing. And John knew that meant the fulfillment of his work. He had succeeded in leading many to repentance. And perhaps you have caught some of his strong words because there was some popularity circles moving. It was, it was so notable that John was out there. Everybody was talking about it. That even the Pharisees and the Sadducees had to go check it out. And some decided they wanted to look like the rest of the crowd. So they probably were headed down to the waters for baptism. And there was John saying this. Brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Bearing fruits of repentance. That's where John drew the line. You're repentant. You're sorry for your sin. What does that mean? How has your life changed from here on? 
how do you now honor your Lord with your life? He was calling him on it. He was concerned that this was pure hypocrisy. And he called them to repentance. Who of us hearing this call of repentance, who of us who know God's holy and gracious will and the fact that we have rebelled against him would turn a deaf ear to the words of the preacher here. But here we would be better to turn even as our Lord through the Holy Spirit works through this word to create faith in our hearts to simply in humble submission say to our God and pray, God be merciful to me a sinner. And this is where John then went to the next part of his work. To point those repentant sinners to the one who would forgive all their sins. To point to the one by the river that was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that's really the task of all preachers of all time to call people to repentance, to then point them to Jesus and say, here he is. You and I gather here to worship, to honor our God, to see Jesus. And we see his work and the results of that work in the purifying of our own sins through the waters of baptism as we see that baptismal font. May we ever remember that we have been baptized into his name. At the same time as we gather, we have this promise and assurance that as the words of God are spoken in their truth and purity, we're to hear that speaker as the one who's speaking in Christ's behalf. In fact, it goes even further, doesn't it? Because our Lord has promised his followers who proclaim his word, he who hears you hears me. And then as we gather, we not only commemorate the life, the holy life, and the atoning death of our Savior, but he gives us that very body and blood whereby he has obtained for us full salvation. This is the joy that we have as we gather, as we recognize that here is Jesus. Here is the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And we are thankful to God for giving us these means to bring us ever closer through that gift he call, we call faith, closer to him. And to be assured that our salvation is sure. That as we live through life, as we live in this life, as we serve our Lord, as we graciously serve those he loves, his, our family, our neighbors, our friends, that we do so with the idea that we're here for a purpose as God's children, to show the light that he has shown, to share the joy that John was to others as he pointed them to Jesus. Now as then, everybody needs to know, we're told, about his own sins and about God's gracious forgiveness for Jesus' sake. But then there is this other thing. It's not really a but, but it's a both and. 
now that we know this wonderful news, the very basics of Christianity as we know it, we're compelled to share it and to pass it on to those around us in our family and in those households that have not known Christ. So we have this wonderful task, and John showed his love for the souls, even beyond his work, as he fulfilled his task of preparing the way, bringing the gospel through which the Holy Spirit works, the faith to believe. That's what's important. So until we recognize that, we might struggle a little bit with our purpose. But the Lord has made it clear He's given us an example here of a man who was fulfilling his work, but he was preparing others. Remember who it was that went to see Jesus. They were the remaining disciples he had, the others that probably already started following Jesus. We're told there were two of those disciples that were sent. And they were asked, are you the one who we are to say is the Messiah, or do we look for another? And, of course, the answer was, Jesus just said, look at what's happening. Look at the evidence. Look at the truth. The blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Here is the Messiah, promised of old. And whether or not it was for John's own sake that he sent those disciples, or whether it was for the disciples' sake, it's really not that important, but I would favor he did it for those disciples based on what he was doing in that John passage, pointing them to Christ. And as he fulfilled his work, and he saw and knew that his work had been completed as Christ increased, he would decrease. There was but the work that you and I each have to do that was left to do, and that is to share what God has given us in Christ. And that's when we ask the question, as we continue to dwell here, how can we, with our time, talent, or treasures, whatever it may be, help perpetuate this wonderful news of the Savior? And if we're still having questions, if you're wondering, it's not a bad time to have a conversation about that. Not a bad time to take time for prayer to ask for the Lord's direction. Because if you look around, there isn't a whole lot of people in the world that want to promote the gospel. That falls on Christ's people. He's asked us to do that. And so as we look at our lives, and by the way, I've been here a long time. And I see a lot of us in that stage of life where we might want to start getting our plans in order, including myself, obviously. <laughs> and we can look at ways and conversations and strategies and things that can do some wonderful things to help this ministry continue, to be a light that is set on the hill for all to see and to glorify the God of our Father. So as John completed his work and pointed those he loved to Jesus, so can we. And may we then, as we complete our task, see with the words of that ancient, faithful 
servant of the Lord named Simeon. Also take these words to heart for ourselves. For Lord, you now dismiss your servant in peace according to your word because my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And may all this truly be done to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's arise for the blessing. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your minds and your hearts through Christ Jesus. Amen.